welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Lust Minerals, Stacey Hollins. If you had told a teenage Stacey Hollins that she'd one day be the founder of the country's biggest mineral makeup brand, I don't actually think she'd have doubted you for a second. What she may not have believed, however, was that in a matter of years, she would grow that brand from one that started in a linen cupboard to one worth over $20 million. Stacey is one of those founders who has always known what she wanted to do, and I really do mean always. She left secondary school as early as she could to study beauty full-time. She always wanted to work for herself, and having watched her father own his own businesses her entire life, she was confident that one day she would start one too. When Stacey was in her 20s, her father was diagnosed with cancer, And having always been a planner, someone who always worked towards very clear goals, Stacey had to reconcile the fact that this was devastatingly something that was out of her control. She opened a beauty salon out of her home so that she could be more flexible and spend as much time as possible with her father. And in her few moments of downtime, she researched. She looked into the ingredients she was using on herself and on her clients. She looked into the beauty treatments she was performing and she found herself exclusively recommending mineral makeup. The downside was that it was all so expensive. Having identified a gap for high-performing, full-coverage, cost-effective mineral makeup, Stacey set to work on developing three foundations, the first products from the brand we now know as Lust Minerals. Stacey hustled. I'm talking cold calls, physically showing up at salons and asking them to stock her products. And within a couple of years, Lust Minerals was in 82 stockists across the country. She put her own savings into it, $10,000 of her own money. And between January 2019 and June of this year, Lust Minerals made $20 million in sales. In this conversation, Stacey shares the pros and cons of starting as a B2B brand, how research was her therapy, and her refreshing take on the power of feedback. Stacey, I like to start these conversations right at the very beginning. So what is your earliest memory of beauty? I think for me, I was a real big girly girl. I had three older brothers growing up and I can remember I had my dolly's pram and I used to chase, they would hit their golf balls in the backyard because we had a couple of acres and I'd chase them and um, put all the golf balls in my little pram and run back. Um, So I was always doing something girly having three brothers and I always had my pretend makeup and my lipsticks and it was something that I loved doing um but something that really sticks out is mum was someone really close to her from melanoma when I was younger so she was really big on protecting her skin and SPF and makeup and she had beautiful skin still does to this day very olive and you know beautiful beautiful skin but she used to wear makeup every single day to protect her skin and she used to say to me Stace 
or darling possum I used to be called you don't need to wear makeup and she's very big on me understanding that because I would watch her put it on you don't need to wear makeup you are beautiful the way you are but it's important that you wear something that protects your skin from you know the sun and everything like that so it was always something that I was in the forefront of my mind and um yeah something that I, I loved doing when I was younger I love that I'm very very big on my sun protection I think we managed to drop it into every single episode so people will be (laughs) thrilled that we've got that one done in the first question (laughs) oh gosh I know that you were a beauty therapist before launching your brand but had you always had that interest in beauty specifically what did you think you were going to be when you grew up absolutely I knew, I remember in the early stages of year eight when you got to choose your core subject and I said, mum, there's nothing to do with beauty here. Like I don't want to do home ec or PE. I just want to do beauty. Um, So I did get into dancing, but I actually left school in year 11, which a lot of people Mm -hmm. are surprised at because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I did the first term of year 11 and I said, mum, I know what I want to do. Can I please go to beauty college? She sent me to one of the top colleges here on the coast. And I started in June and, and when I was 15 and then graduated when I was 16. And it was the best head start for me. I was young. I was naive. I grew up a lot. I missed that whole party school scene through school. And I just feel so blessed that I had the opportunity to do that from such a young age because it's really set me up for success now you know being my age looking back and I think I had a real passion for helping people and I loved helping people with their skin with their concerns with their confidence so I was all the one always the one that would pull out the hairbrush and do their hair or put on their pretend makeup when friends came over so yeah I think it was something that was embedded in me and that I just loved loved doing. So you clearly had that interest in beauty from a really young age but what about the business side of things. I've heard you speak about your late father, who I understand was a businessman and we'll chat more about him shortly. But before you had the idea for Lust Minerals, having watched your dad work, did you ever picture yourself starting your own business? Absolutely. I knew. I, I I always wanted to write my own story. I didn't want to be a character in someone else's book. And I'm so big on that. And I think I didn't want to limit myself. I was very ambitious and very like, you know, the world is my oyster. I can have anything, do anything. And I, And for me at the time, working for someone wasn't the end goal. It wasn't the goal because I knew that, that was very limiting. Um, So I think, yeah, it's always been something that I've wanted to do. And as I said, watching my parents have multiple businesses up until, you know, dad's last days, he he still had his business that he sold to my brothers. It was always something that I knew that I wanted to do. And dad used to call me a determined little girl. So (laughs) I feel like that's either come from me challenging him now having a daughter, but also, you know, it's something that's embedded in me essentially. Talk me through your career prior to 2014. You were working as a beauty therapist. You were in salons for something like nine or ten years before launching your own brand. What was it? You've talked about loving to help people. What was it that drew you to beauty? What was it that you loved about that side of it? I mean, I practiced, yeah, for over nine years in the beauty industry and and a dermal therapist, and I really had a passion the industry but I I loved having the purpose of helping people I loved that people could come to me and need help and I could walk them out with their 
you know, their confidence and their skin improved. I mean, I personally grew up suffering from acne. I went on the pill to cover it. And then uh, once I educated myself around that, I came off and I still went through that acne journey to really get my skin in check. So I think I knew what it was like and all I ever wanted to do was really grow that confidence and create change in people's skin because there was not a lot of education around it in, in my age and my demographic at the time anyway that the solving was let's go on the pill or let's lose a topical um, topical prescription cream and I was like no like there has to be another way um, and mum you know I've grown up in an environment where we had wheatgrass shots for breakfast and <laughs> all these strange things. So I've, I've been kind of aware of the natural side of things and I think that's what, you know, really, really excited me. It was when you were in your 20s that your father was diagnosed with cancer and I mm. have read that your way of coping was to research. Talk mm-hmm. me through that. What can you tell me about that time and what you were learning? Yeah, I mean, when that when you go through something like that, it's really hard to accept that you can't change it. You know, if you, you know, crash your car, you can get it fixed. If you do something, there's there's a consequence, but you can get it fixed or it can come good. But when it's cancer, it's something that you can't control. And for me, that was a really hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. So my therapy at the time was research. And if I felt like I could make a difference in data, either buy some time or reverse what had happened, happened then I feel you know like at least I've tried you know I wasn't ready just to give up on him so um what I found was insane I went through a whole journey but a a few um golden nuggets that I got from that is us as women absorb over two kilos of chemicals every single year just from the products we apply to our body from moisturizing you know face care tanning care anything like that and this is a lot for our body to process and it's not what we're normally designed to process mm. so um you know that in itself was was a big pill to swallow but not only that I did facials as I said eight hours a day seven, uh, five days a week creating incredible results for my clients but using cosmeceutical products and what I, I can vividly remember it I used to get what I can describe as the hand burns and my hands used to burn at the end of the day and just be so red and agitated from using these products on people's skin and although I was creating amazing results it's like the penny dropped I was just like all this kind of happened at the same time it was just like I knew that I need to create this change but naturally and I did feel like I was somewhat cheating on myself using these cosmeceutical products when I had the knowledge that I did. Mm. Was it at this point that you started your own salon from home? Mm, Absolutely so when dad was diagnosed with cancer, you know, it was hard to spend time with him. So I decided to move, you know, create my own home salon. My husband and I just bought a house. So I set up a home salon to allow me to spend more time with dad. And that was a big thing for me. Obviously, we just had a mortgage. So it was important that I didn't limit my income. So I still managed to earn the same or more most weeks um, for half the hours. I got to spend a lot more time with dad every day. I would see dad. I'd take him for coffee, meet him and mum at the beach. We'd go for a walk, whatever we, you know, he was up for that day. Um, And then that allowed me the time to really start building last. I was quite an ambitious person and I don't, I like to keep busy. I don't like hanging around doing nothing you'd never find me watching tv so I think that was the space for me to create lust and that's where that journey started to come through let's talk about that journey at what Mm. point did the idea for lust minerals come to you and what was the gap that you were looking to fill yeah I mean I think as I said my knowledge from dad's 
diagnosis, my own personal experience with acne. And as I said, I was creating these incredible results for our community or for my clients using cosmeceutical products. But what they would do is go home and then put these heavy products on their skin. It was this vicious cycle because they had these breakouts. We could heal them. We could reduce the redness, but it was a time thing. You'd never heal them in one week. It was a month or two. And they would go home and and, and put this makeup to cover their skin for their confidence. And it was clogging their pores. It was just this vicious cycle. And I mean, there was mineral makeup around at the time. But, you know, these brands were in excess of $90 plus. So for a client to come in with these cosmeceutical treatments and be spending this amount of money on skincare and makeup, it just wasn't affordable. And there wasn't even, I can't remember, I'm sure there was, but I can't remember any Australian-made brands. So Mm. I was determined to fill that gap. And I knew if I could create something that ticked all my boxes that I needed for my clients that was Australian, that was cruelty-free, and that was affordable, then I was winning. And once I got an idea, I just didn't rest until I made it happen. <laughs> that seems to be the theme here is just deciding yeah. what you want to do and going for it. <laughs> yeah. So where did you go from here? It's one thing to have that idea and to identify that gap, but another thing entirely to stand up and say, okay, yep, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to fill that gap. I read yeah. that it did take about two years of research and development. Mm. So how did you go about finding the right manufacturer, sourcing the packaging, all of those steps that go into physically bringing a product to market? Yeah, well, I mean, time was on my side. I'd just moved into my home cell and I had a good two years of developing life. I had the time. All I did was research. And again, I don't remember the exact moment, but I do remember that I just didn't rest until I found someone. I was ringing people. I was talking to people. I was building relationships. And it was just something that I I made happen at the time. Um, And, yeah, we have several manufacturers now that we have an incredible relationship with. And we just use a different manufacturer based on the product and their expertise. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think for me I just had that time. And so, you know, it's one thing at a time I knew how to set up a business. My dad helped me with that side of things. So that was tick, that was done. The next thing was finding a manufacturer. Um, And in the beginning we did use, obviously, generic packaging. Whereas a few years ago you may have noticed that we really invested heavily into rebranding our packaging because we knew the products on the inside were incredible and high-performing and ticked all of those boxes, but the packaging did let us down. And and I wanted to deliver the the whole package because that's what I loved. So um, I loved having, you know, nice products on the vanity. So that's what we, we did in the last few years and really elevated the packaging and just bringing the whole package. If research serves me, you launched with a powder, a cream foundation and a matte foundation. How did you decide which products you would launch with? Yeah, well, I think for me, um, it was the core products that I was necessarily looking for at the time. It was foundations. It didn't really matter about blush and bronzer. It was the foundations and the base. So for me, I didn't just want to target one skin type because there was, you know, the variety around there. So I did start with the mineral stick cream foundation, which was for more dry and mature skin. Um, the matte finish, which used to be called our BB cream, um, and that was more for the oily skins and it helped mm-hmm. to really calm breakouts. And then the powder foundation, which we wanted for extra coverage and SPF as well. Um, and I use these products, my brides, for the first two years. Like I did bridal makeup on a weekend. I did my cousin's wedding. I did friend's wedding. And I used these products on them and it really gave me that time to test them out and, and learn to understand them as much more as, as I could, make tweaks. And, um, yeah, and then we we launched. I was just thinking before you mentioned bridal trials, being 
someone that is working with different skins every single day, you've kind of got your, that's your market research right there in front of you day in and day out. You know what people are looking for. You know what different skin types need. Like that's such a huge part of it. And you had it all there in front of you. Literally. And I knew exactly what they needed and I could Mm. see what they were using and how it wasn't serving them. And yeah, it was just seemed easy at the time. (laughs) So what was the reception like on launch, we obviously know all about mineral and natural makeup now, but as you've mentioned, the cosmetics landscape in 2014 was very, very different. Everything was mm. either so expensive or I think there probably were some things at a lower price point, but were kind of sort of like your health food shop brands. Yeah. Where you're yeah. A, a real beauty junkie. That's not where yeah. you're getting your cosmetics. So were people really receptive on launch? Yeah, I mean, mineral makeup was just starting to make its footprint in like the early 2010, maybe. I mean, I used it in a clinic, but as I said, it was it was just not affordable yeah. and it wasn't Australian. Um, but the, the education was just starting to come out around this time. I mean, a lot of brands were in the space that were mineral. They just weren't as concentrated as they were today. And I think, unfortunately for me at the time, then mineral makeup got its name for it didn't offer coverage. And I think that's what we're trying to prove these days that that's not the case because back then they were watered down they weren't quite familiar with it as it is now whereas now it's very concentrated so it's very high performing um and so yeah that was kind of you know my goal and and where I wanted to go and it was it was slow um at the beginning but I think that was important for me just to understand the business and get and get set up um yeah how did you go about getting the word out? I know that within a few years you had something like 82 stockists. Yeah. <laughs> but aside from that cosmetics landscape looking really different nearly a decade ago, social media looked really different as well. So did you mm. have any sort of a strategy in place to get the brand out there? I mean, yeah, in the early stages, I really focused on word of mouth and B2B mm-hmm. salon market because that's essentially where I knew best. And I could yeah. see that gap for me at that time. So my sister-in-law was helping me. She was, she is amazing, but she doesn't work for me now. She's had kids. But back then we would go around to every salon we could possibly find. We would spend days in different locations as far as we could go in a day. And we would literally cold call them. We would go in, we would show the products, we would leave them samples, we would call them back, we'd send them information. We were just going around and doing the best we can. And it actually worked really well for us. I mean, we had 82 stockists in the first couple of years, which was massive. I mean, it was still slow because you're relying on, you know, the team inside that salon to sell your product. But Mm. it was certainly really, really good for me. And I mean, at the time, Lust Minerals was my side gig. Um, I had the product still stocked in my liver covered at home. So, you know, it was it was a good learning process to then realise where I did want to see the brand. I read that you self-funded that launch. You poured something mm-hmm. like 10K of your own savings into it. You've mentioned you were operating out of a cupboard at home. <laughs> this side of things is so interesting to me because, of course, there's pros and cons to self-funding versus, you know, seeking investment. What would you say were some of the advantages and perhaps some of the challenges of doing things the way that you did? Yeah, I mean, I was young and naive and very determined. So I wasn't really looking at for, for investments. I didn't even think that was an opportunity. I'm like, who's going to want to invest in me anyway? Like, Being I'm just naive thinking. and determined is like <laughs> the magic recipe. <laughs> You've got to have those two things. <laughs> so, I mean, like, 
you know, and I think too, at the time, to be honest, I couldn't control dad's sickness, but I could control this and I could put everything I wanted into it. So Mm. the only challenge for me at the time was the slow growth. However, to be honest, I think it all came at good time. Like I had my son and it wasn't until he was two that lust really began to, you know, its journey and really gained its legs. So looking back, lust really only started 2018 and 2019. Those first few years were just the salons and then I had my son and it was slow growth, but I think it was important for me to start there because then once my son was two, we just, as I said, we gained our legs and we just kind of snowballed from there and it was all in good timing. Mm. Speaking more generally, what were some of the lessons that you learned while the brand was in its infancy that you find you're still applying to your work today? Um, I mean, during the early stages, feedback was something I took on board really well. So Mm -hmm. feedback only allows you to learn to do better, be better and and listen to your community. So I think that lesson is still very relevant for today. Um, We're constantly taking on feedback. We're constantly pivoting um, and listening to our community and just delivering products based on their needs and their pain points and what they're really after. Um, And I think just business rarely goes to plan. Let's be honest. There is always something that happens or comes up it's like putting out fires constantly so I'm someone who loves a challenge and I find a challenge very motivating because as soon as you throw me a challenge I'm like amazing how are we going to fix this so I think it's just come back to the mindset as well for me but essentially any lesson that I've learned I think has adapted me to where I am today but the biggest one is just not taking feedback personally and just ensuring that you listen because it's only going to allow you to do better and and be better. I love that advice. I think that's true across just about any industry, whoever you are. Yeah. Yeah. You moved into the e-com space in 2018, which you've just mentioned is kind of where the brand really, you know, took off. What sparked that move? Um, I mean, I think for us in 2018, time was on my side, but also the rays of influences and social media marketing. It's where we, you know, we recognize that we could embrace this as a brand and it's where Instagram, we first got our first Instagram account. We started posting on there. Um, We saw amazing results with our salons and I think we were just focusing on, you know, that growth. But then we, um, I think there was a few local um bachelor girls that's right that we got our hand our makeup into their hands and, and it was very new then it was pretty much like take some like let me know what you think I don't expect you to post there was no you have to post there was none of that you know it was so new so we just gifted these products they loved them and they shared them and we just grew like over 90% in the next three months and I was wow. like there is something here like there is something here for us so um I think we just jumped on that in- influencer partnership space and I'm very much that you know you you come to me we're family (laughs) anyone who works for me anyone who you know crosses my path I very much look at them for family so I think for us that we really just built those relationships through the partnerships that you know and that started to be the foundation of the brand and it just kind of snowballed from there love it the brand reportedly achieved a turnover of 20 million dollars between January 2019 and June of this year just let that sink in (laughs) growth like that obviously requires growing the team you mentioned everyone that comes in becomes family how did Mm. you go about bringing new people into the fold and do you have any tips for hiring 
Um, I mean, we go through an extensive application pro pro um, process because you know we do get a lot of applications. But at the end of the day, while some role qualifications are important, they aren't. They are never really the deciding factor for us because it's more about. Are this is this person like-minded? Are they have similar values? Are they going to you know? Are they passionate? Are they on this mission with me? Are they going to you know? It's someone I'm going to be around you know seven days a week, five days a week. So it's important to me that we have someone that's on that same journey. And I think um, yeah, we just don't look at qualifications as the first thing. And I think that's really helped with us to to really grow a really dedicated team. While we are on the growth side of things. Did growing from a business operating out of a cupboard to a multi-million dollar brand present any challenges as far as things like keeping up with stock levels, all of the not so glamorous stuff that we don't see? Yeah. I mean, we've gone through two major warehouse upgrades um, in the last few years and our current one is two and a half times two and a half times the size of the last one. Um, We didn't, it's massive. Yeah. We didn't really have any major stock issues that I can remember, I was very much onto that. It's probably only been the the last few years that keeping um, product on the shelves is a little bit harder because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's only so much you can do when you're anticipating the growth of a brand and you're adding on a certain percentage and and looking at patterns and things like that. But there always seems to be a product that we just can't keep on the shelves, no matter how hard we try. And I think because we are Australian made and the turnaround time is, you know, three to six weeks or more because it all mm. is all our formulation made from scratch. It's not just something we can go, hey, we need some more and they send it. So, um, you know, there is always that challenge. But I think it's the last two years we've had most of the these out-of-stock issues, I would say, um, more so than the early days. You started with three products. You now have more SKUs than I can count across makeup, <laughs> skincare, body care. How does that product development process work for you? Are you constantly thinking about what might come next? Are you basing those decisions off what your customers are asking for or is it a little bit of both? It's definitely both for me. I mean, I'm certainly listening to the community, seeing what people are after, seeing any frustrations. I think I am not a fish out of water with our community. I am very much in the customer service side of things. We have, you know, often, you know, in-depth conversations with our customer service leader and our team and we get handovers every week so that I'm knowing exactly what the community are asking for, what's not working for them, what's working. And I'm really good at listening. And I think that's really allowed me to work on those next products. And I think um, I have quite a lot of products in the development stage at the moment. And um, I think that's the funnest part for me. So, yeah, I think it's, it comes naturally to me because I am listening so I can mm. see the gaps and I can see what's trending and I'm kind of going from, from there. You have sat at the helm of Last Minerals for close to a decade now. Over that time, <laughs> that must be strange to hear, over that time, yeah. what have been some of the biggest changes that you have seen within the beauty industry? Um, I think performance, quality, and that's definitely a big one that's that's changed, especially in the mineral space, because as I said, they've come from these watered down essentially minerals to now these really high performing and and that was my end goal, high performing minerals. But I think another thing that stands out is greenwashing. It's a big one. There's so much misinformation around marketing. It's a little bit in, a little bit scary. And I I do always suggest that, you know, each person does their their research because 
There's a lot of a brands out there implying that they're clean or they're Australian made. They'll say developed in Australia, yet they're not Australian made. And it's it's just really scary how brands get across. I mean, I disclose every ingredient, no matter what it is, on the website. I'm not hiding anything. And, you know, in my industry, it, do, it does change over time. But at the time, you didn't have to disclose any ingredients under 1%. Mm. But we do. So there are brands out there that can be natural or clean, but then have ingredients under 1% that aren't and and they are still claiming that they are and we know that they aren't. So it's just one of those things where there's a lot of greenwashing out there. And I just hope that we, you know, we can get through that and there's less of that as time goes on. Well, on that, what changes do you think we can expect to see from the industry over the coming few years? Yeah, hopefully some more positive change. I mean, more focus on cleaner products, more education around the performance and what they can achieve. I mean, customers who are used to using a normal brand from the supermarket or from a retailer who has that has silicons in it that has any, I mean, you can create any product that's not natural. If you want it to work and stick to the skin, you can create it using chemicals. It's getting those people aware and understanding how minerals work and minerals work by warming and binding to the skin and the oils in the skin. And they do need to be applied differently. So I think for me, it's just is really heavily bringing that education piece around so that people don't aren't used to using a cosmeceutical or a retail brand that isn't clean to then throwing ours on and expecting it to be applied the same way because it's it's not the case. But once you do nail the application, you'll never go back. Stacey, my final question, what is next for Lust Minerals? I've, I think, as I said, the biggest barrier is education. So mm. I've got so much knowledge to share and the team do an incredible job, but it's still, you know, it's still tricky to get that across. So I think for me, I've been working on for the last six months, the last Minerals Beauty School. This will have modules in it that we released to the community in Feb 2000 uh, next year, uh, 24. So um, very, very excited about that. And that'll just be really educating our community and and getting them a part of it so that they can go through this journey with me. Um, Of course, I want to obviously extend our our portfolio. I'm really redefining the beauty industry, in, especially in the skincare side of things and really bringing this new technology through where we've got natural products and natural ingredients, but they are using the, um, they do have clinical studies behind them. So we're really redefining the industry and bringing products through that have purpose driven results like our eye cream. Um, and then of course, I'm I'm also eager to step my toes into the global expansion and see if, you know, a retailer does align with us. So we'll see how we go. That was Stacey Hollands, founder of Lust Minerals, which you can find on Instagram at lust underscore underscore minerals. To read more, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. The Glow Journal podcast would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to elders past and present.